Today's episode, Samson and Delilah. I know where Samson's coming from. Mm-hmm. He's not like most heroes of that book. He doesn't come across as sort of a learned character. He's got, he's like muscle bound and long hair and, you know, it's not like this is a prophet or some skinny little guy from, you know, studying all day long. He's like, you know, got the ponytail and he's at the gym and he's just, that's not, it's so different than every other character. You know, and he's a rock star and the rabbis never really wanted to talk too much about that because uh, they didn't want you sort of, you know, coming back the next day, you know, like in a tank top and a ponytail and saying, well, you know, it was good enough for Samson. We all loved him and I, everyone kind of who learned about it wanted to learn more about him because finally there was a hero that looked the part and didn't just um, run out to the temple and pray for help, but actually, you know, went out and grabbed the jawbone of an ass and killed a few thousand people. We don't get a lot of tough guys. Mm-hmm. Mostly in Bible school, we're taught about the Jews leaving Egypt and uh, Abraham possibly maybe murdering his son, and he sort of got glossed over. We were taught that he killed lots of Philistines, and they don't really dwell too long on what he looked like or that he was, you know, a giant of a man or that he basically, you know, married, you know, whatever he wanted. He just he wasn't into Jewish chicks. So I don't think that they wanted to point that out. But yet they were, like, okay with having you learn about Abraham, who was ready to kill his kid, you know, at a moment's notice. And, you know... Right. They're, they're, okay, with, they're okay with sort of murder within the family. Yeah. Particularly because, you know, you don't... Ha- when you're, like, eight years old and they're teaching this, but you mm-hmm. don't have a a son you might go home and kill. The part of the story that never made any sense to me uh, when hearing it as a kid was just how he continued to fall for the same trick over and over from Delilah. Every time he would reveal to her the, se- the supposed secret of his strength, he would, he, would, he would fall prey to her using it against him. Like, how, how stupid can he be, you right. know? What's great about that story, if you stop and think about it, is that whoever was telling it mm-hmm. didn't even feel the need to have to explain why a guy would fall for the same trick 13 times from some chick. Like, there's no, like, what do you mean? Why do you think they did? Because nobody said he was, you know, superhuman against, you know, women. There's always just, you know, he was very strong, or he's a warrior, but he's as, as sort of, um, susceptible to womanly charms anybody Samson and Delilah Samson's father was an Israelite named Manoah Manoah was an intellectual and a man of peace he believed the troubles between his people and the Philistines could be solved through nonviolence. So when a Philistine baited him, smacking him in the back of the neck, he would look at his tormentor with this, I pity you, look on his face. In this way, 
he felt he was initiating social change. Samson was not given to thoughts of peace. Punching and throwing things was his natural way. For him, it had always been that way. At five, he could chop wood with the side of his hand, and at seven, he was able to wrestle a horse to the ground. For Samson, acts of brutishness were like what whistling was to a musical genius, something deep inside that had to come out. Kicking a camel in the stomach and watching it fall to its knees, for Samson, was like hitting a high C. Manoa was embarrassed by his son's feats of strength. He found them oafish. If you sat down and read a book once in a while, then I'd be impressed, his father said. When he was growing up, Samson wanted to be an angel. Partly it was because he thought it might make his father like him more, but also because he had heard about the feats of strength that angels pulled off lifting an elephant off an old man's foot, etc. So being an angel seemed like the best of both worlds. You could kick ass in the name of peace. His mother had told him about a nice angel she'd met just before he was born. What is your name? His mother asked the angel. It's nothing you can pronounce, the angel said. The angel then told his mother that she would give birth to a special boy who would be as strong as a mountain. That's what he said, swore Samson's mother. A mountain. At the age of 12, Samson went to the market with his father and found a man's money purse on the ground. Samson scooped up the purse and rifled through it. Suddenly, his father was upon him, producing a little stick which he broke over his son's skull. Samson wanted to lift his father in the air and dash him against the earth. It was not the kind of thought that angels had. Samson began thinking less and less about being an angel and concentrated more on what he was truly good at. As an adult, when he looked back on the day at the market, he would think that that is how you become a certain way. That is how you become who you are. He would not think this with sentimentality. He would think it matter-of-factly while biting into a stick of celery. At 15, Samson had a friend named Jason. Jason was a Philistine, but he and Samson got along just fine. Jason was always full of helpful advice. He told Samson that it wasn't enough to perform feats of strength. You had to distinguish yourself. He told Samson he would need a catchphrase. Jason made a few suggestions. Bring on the pain and load me up, boys, as well as I am stronger than a tree trunk and you any schmuck can yank a crocodile's tail off, said Jason. But to make the people love you, now that's a gift. When working on gimmicks, the first idea that came to Samson was to grow his hair long. His mother, when recounting the story of the angel, would sometimes say he told her Samson was going to be a Nazarite. A Nazarite was a kind of holy man who was not allowed to touch dead people, drink booze, or cut his hair. The angel had told her all kinds of other things, too, most of which he forgot almost immediately. Samson's father, who did not have much use for God and superstitions, had attributed his wife's angelic vision to an attack of the nerves. He refused to have his son go about with the hair of a girl. But now, as a teenager, Samson resolved to grow his hair out as he wished. And as the months wore on, he took great satisfaction in its growth. Seeing it get longer really made him feel like he was accomplishing something. And it might have only been his imagination, but he did feel stronger, 
And who in his right mind would accuse him of looking like a girl now? His biceps were the size of thighs, and his thighs the size of watermelons. He cracked pecans between his pectorals. In his father's presence, he tied his hair back in a bun. Manoa thought it made Samson look like a certain great aunt of his, an unenlightened woman who he can never stand. When Samson was 18, he met a young Philistine named Delilah. She worked at the market selling eggs. When Delilah danced and her skirts rose into the air, for Samson, it was like God was pounding himself on the chest. It was like the whole world was nothing, just a joke. And the only thing that mattered was Delilah's legs. He thought about Delilah all the time. Sometimes he thought about her so fiercely that it felt as if his mighty head was going to crack right down the middle. He found himself buying 60 to 70 eggs a week, and he imagined it was Delilah who had laid them, that she had kept each egg warmed beneath her buttocks. Eating her eggs made him feel close to her. He would crack each one into his mouth and let it leak down his throat. When he saw Delilah, mostly all he could do was smile, because when he spoke, only nonsense came out. Yet when he was alone in the fields near his home, he grew bold. He would swear his love to her while holding on to the bangs of his hair with his fists. I love you, Delilah, he would say, his arms wrapped around a tree. He would say it over and over, getting a little louder each time, until the tree snapped. Speaking those words made him drunk. Eventually, Samson came up with an idea to win Delilah's heart. He would show up at the market and perform feats of strength. He and Jason would set up the operation directly across from Delilah's stand. And all the while, as he performed, he would look her right in the eye. So Samson would drag a baby elephant to the market and struggle with the poor animal until he had it raised over his head. As he performed, people gathered around to watch. He would scan the crowd to make sure his father was not present. Then he would stick out his stomach and try to get his footing just right. Next, he would haul the calf over his head and look right at Delilah to see what she made of the whole thing. As Samson looked at her, he tried to fill his mind with the greatest, most beautiful things so that maybe she would see greatness and beauty in his eyes. As he watched her, the elephant held high in the air. He thought about running his hands up her legs. He thought about kissing her. He continued his act in the market and made nice money out of it, too. At the end of each day, he would hand all of his money to his father, and his father would just stare at him blankly, as though deep in thought about something political. One day, Samson decided to send Jason to Delilah's. Samson was too shy to speak with her, but Jason had a gift with words. Go forth and tell her of the good deeds of strength I have performed to honor her, Samson said. Speak of the falcon whose beak I bit off, but make it sound like poetry. Jason, who loved Samson, did as his friend bid him. While he sat with Delilah, he would play his lyre. He would make up songs about the great things that Samson did. As their visits together went on, Delilah and Jason saw that they had a great deal in common. They both loved traditional Philistine folk ballads, and found avocado pits, when clutched in one's hand, to be of inexplicable comfort. They began to speak less of Samson and Delilah, and more of Jason and Delilah. 
While Jason was with Delilah, Samson waited anxiously, curling great weights to pass the time. When Jason returned, Samson ambushed him. What did she say? asked Samson. Does she love me yet? No, but she likes you, though. A lot. As a friend. She told me that underneath all the tough guy antics, you're probably a big softy. That is true, said Samson. What else did she say? Jason looked at him for a couple seconds. She said she loves me, and I love her. As matter-of-factly as he would lace up a sandal, Samson wrapped his long hair around Jason's neck and strangled his friend to death. It was after killing Jason that Samson started to change. He moved out of his father's house and became less satisfied lifting and maiming animals. He felt it was time to move on to people, Philistine people. Some Israelites had approached him in the past about leading their uprising. You're a Jew, Samson, the emissaries would tell him. Join us in our struggle. No thanks, Samson would say. I have no beef with the Philistines. They treat me just fine. He knew his father would fly off the handle if he saw Samson so much as even talking to one of those uprising guys. Now, though, he decided he wanted to deliver the Jews. When asked about the change of heart, he would say, personal reasons. Samson was not a political animal. He just wanted to hit people hard enough to make them die. It would be like making Jason die again and again, because once was not enough. News of Samson's godlike power spread like wild. He was no longer a sideshow. He had become famous, and killing had become a kind of therapy for him. This one looks like that teacher who called me lunk-headed, he thought. And this one looks like my father. He lifted that man up to his face by the beard so he could spit in his eye. Unfortunately, his murdering only exacerbated his problems, which made him more murderous. He felt like he was chipping away at one big enemy. But the more he chipped, the bigger it grew. While Samson was in the market of Timnath, buying ointments to apply to his massive, battle-wearied muscles, that he met up with Delilah. She was on a road trip and was buying bread. Samson of the long hair, she said, sneaking up beside him. How goes it? He felt his great skull-sized knees start to buckle. It was as though something inside him that he thought was dead had crawled out to face him. An angel. He stood before her, stammering until Delilah smiled and told him she had a splinter, and would he be so kind as to carry her to the inn. Samson's hands floated out from his sides. He placed his thumbs under Delilah's armpits, which were warm and soft. He lifted her slowly off the ground until she was eye-level with him. He walked forward like a sleepwalker. He stared into her eyes without blinking. She giggled and told him not to be silly, and he placed her on his shoulders. She spread her legs wide around the back of his tree-trunk neck. She rode him in silence. After a while, she ran her hand through his knotted hair. And as she did so, she gritted her teeth, swallowing down the vomit rising in her throat. She knows all that I think, Samson thought. Even now, 
and even now. The first time they made love, Delilah thought that Samson smelled like live chickens and saliva. The tips of his greasy hair poked her face. When he was done, Samson laid beside her, his hands behind his head, exposing his armpits. What is the secret of your strength? asked Delilah. She said it quickly, impatient. She wanted revenge for Jason's death. She wanted revenge for her people. All of this before passing out from Samson's stink. Samson considered telling her the story of his mother and the angel, but he did not want to get all serious so fast. He was aware of how intense he could be, and he decided to keep it in check. He knew that once he got started, he would never be able to shut up, pouring out his heart about everything, how he hates his father, how he can't stop thinking about Jason, how he's loved her for so long that he feels at this moment like he could simply die of happiness. Just thinking about all of those things, how true they were, made him feel like he was going to cry. So instead, he went for playful. I do not know the source of my strength, but I do know that if I were ever made the marshal in a parade, that would be the end of it. Who told you this? asked Delilah. Um, an old weird-looking woman, said Samson. She had a limp. That evening, Delilah met with her cohorts at the tavern and told them all about what she had learned. Quickly, the Philistines arranged for a parade to honor their mighty enemy. There was to be a marching band, and even a banner that would read, May the gods anoint Samson. There were to be lyre players, snake charmers, mimics, and women gyrating their hips. Once assembled, they marched to Samson's front door, whereupon Samson moved swiftly among their ranks, from musician to juggler to belly dancer, slaughtering indiscriminately using only his feet, fists, and the jawbone from the ass he was in the midst of munching. He bit their fingers and roundhouse kicked their chins. Let the smiting rain down like morning dew, cried Samson, twirling two old men around by their beards. Delilah turned away from the slaughter and looked up to the heavens. It was a clear, cloudless day. She was wondering if her family had made it away safely, when she saw Samson stop dead in his tracks in front of her. What are you doing here? he asked. The next morning, Samson showed up at their love nest, a bullock draped over his shoulder like a shawl. You know, said Delilah, during your attack, you broke my grandfather's hip. I never forget one I have punished with my fist, said Samson. Does your grandfather scream like a girl? There was an old-timer who had screams that tickled my ears. Killing people was making Samson number by the second. He liked it that way. He wanted to get so numb that he would no longer be able to hear the voices of the people he had killed that haunted him nightly, or the chastising voice of his father who had disavowed and disowned him. Even when he thought back to the last time he saw his father, out in the market, and how the old man had slapped him across the lips in front of everyone, he could not get worked up. The only thing that Samson got worked up about was Delilah. When she touched his face, he felt like a sparrow's wing had gotten under his flesh. As the weeks wore on, Delilah continued to bug Samson for his secret. After he told her that carrots were his weakness, the next morning he awoke to find carrots sticking out of every orifice on his body. When he told her that it was the Earth's sun that fueled him, he awoke the next morning to find himself in a pitch-black catacomb. 
he had to scrape his way out with his fingernails and toenails. It was after 11 of these unfortunate events that Samson finally allowed himself to see what was happening. It was his sick love of Delilah that had been keeping him so deluded. Delilah had to be involved in the attempts on his life. All the coincidences that had been happening lately were just too odd to dismiss. And yet, he simply could not allow himself to think that one he loved so much could possibly be acting as an agent of his destruction. He pushed the thought from his head and continued to keep deferring, offering Delilah jokes and lies instead of the truth. But in the end, he was forced to confront her. Delilah, if I tell you the secret of my strength, I fear you will use it against me. I am not the smartest of men, but I do know that something is amiss. Pranks of the gods, she said. Everyone, even the spirits, try to tear us apart. It's just so weird, said Samson. Would you do anything for me, Samson? I would walk through walls of fire for you, he said. Then tell me what it is that makes you so strong. Samson undid his ponytail and leaned back in bed. His hair fanned out across the pillow like the tail of a peacock. Because of the drugs, Samson fell into a deep, deep sleep. And when he awoke and opened his eyes and saw only darkness, his first thought was that he was buried alive again. He reached out his arms to begin scratching away at the dirt, but there was no dirt. He felt nothing. He stood up and his head hurt. He rubbed it and felt the stubble. He closed and opened his eyes. Carefully, he started to walk. He heard a giggle and swung out his arms. Then he felt the tip of his nose burned by fire. The giggle got louder. The fire was held to his lips and then to his fingers. In the darkness, he could feel the fire burning his skin. He just could not see it. He reached his hands up to his eyes, but his eyes were not there. The giggles turned into screams of laughter. When the impossible idea of his blindness finally sank in, Samson screeched like an eagle. Samson was only blind for a few weeks before he forgot what the world looked like. He could no longer even recall what faces were. Sometimes he thought he heard laughter. Sometimes he thought he felt the tip of a finger on his back. He would flip around and slice his arms through the darkness, touching nothing. Often he would think his father was nearby in the darkness, and he would try to keep himself from crying. But it was no use. Even when he was a kid, Samson hated being alone. Now, in the dark, he was terrified that he would be alone forever. In the darkness of his prison cell, he believed he was visited by God. You have spent your life making an ass of yourself, said the Lord, but you have done so in a most interesting way. God kissed Samson on the forehead and threw him into the air, where Samson flapped around and turned into a light that was pure and blinding. The brightness of the light that he was made his teeth hurt. He could not turn himself off, but he was free. He had finally become the angel he always knew he could be. When two guards showed up and dragged Samson out the door by his feet and into the sun, he thought he was being flown to heaven by angels. 
The guards brought him to the king's court, where a party was in full swing. They dragged him before the king, where they bound his arms to pillars. I see it starting to grow back, said the king. Your short hair makes your face look fat. Samson thought he was standing at the gates of heaven, and that the king was God. That God would be so cruel made sense to him. He tried to kneel, but his bound arms kept him upright. Standing there, Samson no longer wanted to think upon his old life. Now, he only wanted to get into heaven. Again he pulled at the pillars, trying to force his knees onto the ground, to supplicate himself, but his attempts were in vain. Then he heard the sound of lips smacking. The sound came from nearby, but Samson could not match the sound to any particular thing. It sounded like the universe was being sucked up. It sounded like the gates of heaven were being sealed. The sound came from Delilah's lips, which were kissing the chest of her lover. I have always hated you, she spoke, her mouth full of grapes. Delilah then punched Samson directly on the belly button. That is for everything, she said. Samson's eye sockets became wide, and you could see right into the blackness in his head. He lunged his chest forth, and the pillars shook. They began to give, imperceptibly at first, but then, with each tug, more and more. He felt the ground beneath his feet tremble. Then he heard cracking sounds, and the laughing turned to shrieking. Samson continued to thrust himself forward, longing to feel Delilah's touch once more. today's show, you heard Sholem Auslander, author of Beware of God, a book of short stories. Wiretap is written and performed by Jonathan Goldstein and produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Sarah Gilbert and Carolyn Warren. Production help from Mira Bertwintonic. Reach us through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap. <laughs>